Welcome to the ITAM Reviews monthly radiocast with your host, Martin Thompson. Joining him on the sofa of software are regulars Barry, the Sam Mercenary Pilling, and the man known as the Sam Beast, David Foxen. Then on the couch of contention is Jeff, welcome to the Velodrome, Worsley, and he is joined with Rory, Process Guard, Canavan. And lastly, in the wing back of wickedness, is the soft, cuddly, and courteous Danny Beck. Moderating today for fairness and behavior is Libby, the item wench, Phillips. Please note all opinions are personal opinions and don't reflect the item review or respective employees. Other opinions are available. We have today David Foxen, Danny Begg, Roy Canavan, and Barry Pilling, and myself, Martin Thompson. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Afternoon. Hey, Martin. Yeah, that's nice. So, just um, shooting the breeze with my ITAM friends here. Um, don't get out much. Don't get invited <laughs> to many parties. <laughs> so we have to discuss um, Sam topics. Um, first one, first one I want to run past you was this. Um, what, what do you think of this IBM selling off more of their software business? Um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in what that means for people using Big Fix for ILMT. What, what do we think? I think if anyone's going to answer that, it's got to be the award-winning Daniel Begg. Or not. I <laughs> thought that was the perfect opportunity for him to uh, pitch how he, he won his awards through lots of IBM savings. Well, there you go. I didn't even realise I was on mute. <laughs> Thanks very much, Dave. That's brilliant, mate. Oh, I, I love it. I started chatting away. There I was. All to myself, as usual. <laughs> look, put, it, put it this way. Yeah, I use a lot of IBM products. I use the Unica suite that they're looking at taking away. I use Big Fix, but I use Big Fix not just for... ILMT. I also use it for other parts. Uh, big fix. Uh, I use WebSphere Commerce, which they're also moving out. So, out of the seven products, the only things we're not using is Lotus and Domino, which no one's using. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, so, I'm, I'm looking at those products, and I kind of go, okay, do you know what? I can see some of the strategy. You know, AppScan. Okay, uh, that's more for testing code. They're not really wanting to do that. They want to go into the cloud. Yo, uh, look at Unikit's marketing software again. They just want to get shot. You know, I bet they wish they could get shot of their mainframe at times uh, in the same way. Uh, I look at Westphere Commerce. There aren't that many big users of Westphere Commerce. Uh, you know, I, I know that we're a big user of it. I know there are a couple of other companies that are big users of it, but it's it's not uh, one of those products that's in every retailer uh, throughout the land. Um, and then I look at probably the one that. As, as probably got most ITAM people a bit more jittery, which is the ILMT piece, which is all built around Big Fix. Now, I know that some of the people, maybe even the ones that some of you guys on the call here, probably use ILMT 7.5. Uh, most of you probably got an instance of ILMT 9 because, of course, you always have to upgrade to the latest version. Um, but I, d I don't know how many of you have 7.5. We do. Um, we have both and the reason why we have both is we've got some stuff that's so old it doesn't work on 9 only works in 7.5 but you have to get a special permission from IBM to use both of them so we're, we're quite happy with the IMT 7.5 the IBM piece I think IBM will just um, sub-license it back out from HCL mm. um, so I don't think it'll change at all 
for us as end users. They're going to have to use a piece of software for their subcapacity licensing, and why wouldn't they just sell off the, 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 the product to have someone else develop it, as well as getting all of the rest of the useful stuff that you can get from Big Fix, and it is actually a good product, and then just sub-license it back to themselves in order to be able to get the um, subcapacity licensing. Now, I don't think any of us have got the details, and I've tried to speak to our account manager in relation to it, but our account manager said is he hasn't got all the details himself, and when he does, they will give they they will set up a meeting with us to talk that through fully. So, well, so what I think it's mean? still early days. What does that mean from a from an audit perspective? If if you're contractually obliged to use ILMT and that's somebody else's product, does that matter? Does that? Does I that I think it'll be sub sub licensed back over to our IBM, or IBM will have retained some part of that licensing to say that they can use it as part of their sub-capacity licensing for all of their customers as a free piece of software. Um, uh, and HDL will, use, will be selling it as a, its full product, uh, as well as all the rest of the modules that go with it. So because we don't know the details enough, I don't think we can make any real decisions based upon that, but I don't think it will change for most people. I think most of us will end up thinking, is this going to involve another person in the NDA? Right. So, you know, are we going to send that out? I mean, broadly, I agree with Danny. One thing I will say, and I think we need to draw a line under this as well, is what IBM have sold HCL is Big Fix, not ILMT. So Big Fix is completely separate. Big Fix is the discovery, the inventory element of it. ILMT is something else completely. So they've kept ILMT. So, I mean, that leaves two ways open. As Danny says, they may actually well sub-license Big Fix back from HCL. Um, there's obviously a reason that they built the ILMT platform on HCL. Or potentially, they may even go with a different inventory agent to tie into ILMT, because obviously with the older versions of the tool, they did actually have an ILMT inventory agent anyway, which wasn't very good, which is why they implemented Big Fix agent with it instead. Yeah, or maybe it opens up the options for using other sound tools. It, and it, it may yeah. well do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's dangerous. We don't really know enough about it yet. I mean, I, th I think I mean, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think uh, for the time being, certainly for the next next few months, nothing will really change. Obviously, HCL and, and IBM will come to some sort of commercial agreement for IBM customers to use Big Fix. I mean, but this nothing, nothing's really going to change it for the time being, I don't think. And Barry, this, this isn't going to be announced, or at least isn't going to be concluded till uh, mid-next year. And so they exactly. I mean, much about it until mid-next year, until actually yeah. it's sold. Yeah, I mean, I, IBM don't do anything quickly anyway, <laughs> as we all know from past experience, no doubt. But uh, do you think that they're going to use that $1.8 billion or whatever it was that they've, they've made from this sale come mid-next year? Does that mean they're going to start investing that in cloud and Watson and stuff like that? No, they'll get rid of it. They're not that interested in Watson, to be honest with you. Um, they want to get rid of that. You know, the direction I see IBM taking at the moment is trying to sell as much as their mainframe business off as possible. You know, it's probably shrinking part of their business and has only got, you know, it's because no one can get off it. That's the only reason why people are paying for it. But, you know, no, there aren't any new customers. You know, a new company starts up like Google. No one goes and buys mainframe. It's only because, you know, a lot of us have been trading for an awful long time that we still have it. Um, so they recognize that. So I think they're trying to build their war chest. And that war chest is purely to go and buy people such as, say, ServiceNow or you know, all the, all the people like that. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're looking at buying businesses that they can use. Red Hat. Move forward. Yeah, like Red Hat. So is it kind of a case of trying to get rid of the dying part of the business and the dying technologies and reinvesting it in more, yeah, more 2019, 2020 technologies? Yeah, and, exactly. and up and coming ones. 
that they're using their money and their might in order to buy new businesses. And that's what will take them into the next century because they know that eventually even businesses like Sainsbury's, like others, like Kingfisher, like everyone else will eventually get off mainframe. It takes a massive investment and thus it's going to take everyone a long time to do. But we will eventually get there. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Getting off mainframe. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's a conversation for the next decade. That's I know it. that's only two years <laughs> in advance, but you know, that's, that's definitely a next decade conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think mainframe's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, I've worked with plenty of clients that are still big into mainframe as well. Oh, and yeah. interestingly, we talk, about, we talk about IBM buying Red Hat to get into cloud. Actually, they've been involved in cloud for some time because IBM Z Cloud has been around for some yeah, time. Yeah, you've got Softcore. Where they're actually parking people, partitions into their own mainframe cloud. Yeah, they've got soft layer. Although I think they're trying to pull away from that as well slightly. I, I think yeah. they realized that they tried to go into it on their own. And actually, the much better idea is to just buy companies who are already big in that area and then just moving away. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, so it's a standard approach, isn't it? If you, if you can't beat them, buy them. Yeah, exactly. And they've got the, and they've got the money to do so. I'm guarantee some of these other companies would have liked to have purchased other companies as well if they had the background cash to do so. So do we know much about this HCL Technologies company? Well, HCL are what? The fourth or fifth largest outsourcer in India. Um, they're behind people like Cognizant. Maybe they're slightly larger than Cognizant. But they're behind TCS, at least. You know? So I think this is part of their buying strategy in order to actually um, get more cash through the door that enables them to compete with the people like TCS. Um, so but, from a business point of view, it sounds like it was a win-win on both sides and IBM wanted to sell, HCL wanted to buy. Yeah, but it's whether you class that as a good buy from HCL. I think a lot of the critics are saying that they probably would have preferred HCL to invest their money in other areas rather than invest in this. But in the end, when any company buys any company, um, it's always a bit of a gamble. Uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. You could look at um, Bunnings and Homebase, for one example, you could also look at things like IBM have purchased things in the past that haven't particularly worked well for them. Admittedly, some of that's IBM's own doing in where they purchased a company, did nothing with it for five years, and it used to be top of the pile. And by the time they re-release it again, it's not no longer top of the market again. Do you know what I mean? And they waste time and effort, whereas it looks like with the, uh, the Red Hat deal, they're going to leave Red Hat alone to run the business as they've been running it, which seems the sensible thing for them to do. You know, it already works. Yeah, and I suspect too the reason HCL made the purchase was not purely for the for the tech or the IP, but rather because it's a it's a foot in then for cross selling up. So, yep, they, they've got all the stuff, got themselves marketing all, all throughout the world. Without, now they've got a bunch of customers. I've just bought mm. myself a customer. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, and then a managed service provider, so they get to go and bid on other pieces of work because they automatically become get onto people's approved supplies list. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's worth money. Who's <laughs> Who has a O2 contract who's been affected by that this week? Uh, I mean, put it this way, O2 are our main supplier for our, all of our mobile phones. Yeah, same here. But uh, not my personal device, so. So it was painful. Do you know what? I actually didn't really give that much of a crap. I was quite happy to not really have my phone for 24 hours. So do we know what it, has it been confirmed whether it was a proper no. software license or SSL certificate or because media outlets are reporting both? No, they're not. So you've got to be careful here because what they have said in the media outlets is that it was a software certificate. 
They're not saying it's an SSL certificate, you know, registering with Big Daddy or anything like that. Now, that could have been a certificate that's based upon all of your routers and everything else that, you know, because considering the Sue and Ericsson, actually O2 are responsible for their SSL certificates and registering them. Do you know what I mean? They own the domains and everything else. So to me, this seems like a certificate that's based upon the switches and the network. So whether they, that's actually all purchased through Ericsson and Ericsson's kit, then with those expiring, then normally when your routers and your switches, their software expires, it normally blocks incoming communication or blocks all the ports. So the switch basically shuts down or goes into like an emergency mode, but it only lets that, you know, it might be able to do a million switches per second and instead only does 100. I was quite surprised how quickly the, I think, I'm not sure if he was, the, he was a spokesperson, he might have been the MD for O2, was on BBC News, and he was quite quick to blame Ericsson. Uh, and obviously it's their kit, but, but um, and it might well be their problem, but it's ultimately it's, it's still their, it's their service, right? It's still, it's still their screw up. Yeah, they should have known that this was going to happen. Now, maybe they'd already contracted Ericsson to do a piece of work to actually go and do it, and Ericsson didn't do it in time, or, you know, so might happen with that, but you know, if, a, if if your certificate on your all of your main switches is about to expire, you would have thought they would have renewed that or at least reissued that certificate to it a good period beforehand. If, so if it, if it was an SSL certificate, which which would be crazy, but if it was, is that something typically within the remit of an asset manager? It, uh, n- normally, in in roles that you've been in before. I've had to do it before. It, it, it depends on working environment, doesn't it? I mean, like Dave just saying, I, I, I've um, managed SSL certificates before. I think at the end of the day, even if it's regarded as an item asset, great, then it's, it's easy enough to do. Um, you just align it with your standard software renewal process. Yeah. Um, and if, even if it's not regarded as an item asset and the security team want to manage it, whatever, you've got a, a, a renewal process that is actually translatable across to other practices anyway. So you yeah. can take an item software, vendor maintenance renewals, say to the security, look, let's just align it with this. We'll just govern it for you. We're quite happy. You want to manage it? Great, but we'll govern it for you. you know, so it, it, this sort of thing should absolutely not happen. Yeah, I think- it's interesting, though, coming back to Martin's point about the, the CEO being straight out, I think that's the cult of the modern CEO, isn't it? I mean, you look at the, the TSB banking disaster six, seven, eight months ago, and they didn't get out in front of that. Um, and in, the, in an age of Twitter rage, um, you have to be out in front of it. So I, I think it was interesting that he was out there so quickly saying, here's where the issue is, and we're really sorry. Although there wasn't that much Twitter rage because no one could get on. <laughs> <laughs> they were boring. Yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, they, they ended up getting off lightly there. Back, back to the days of who's got free Wi-Fi. <laughs> I think um, on the SSL certificate point, though, what we discovered um, when ITAM took it over um, in another organization was actually we had some SSL certificates that were, that were bought or free ones that were a lot less secure than your normal GoDaddy other SSL providers are available ones. <laughs> so I think is, is that kind of an ITAM security relationship to identify, okay, hold on, we may have an SSL certificate on here. It might be a wild card. It might be a standard. It might be whatever, but actually the source that we got it from it's, it's dodgy. We need to kind of rectify this. Who's responsible for that kind of level of knowledge and management? Because I did it previously, but I'm just like, like Martin said, I don't know if it has a home. It doesn't have like a. So I think some of the problem that you have here, Dave, is, and I see it in a lot of organizations as well, is it ends up not having a home. So if it is ITAM, ITAM already used to dealing with software, so it ends up being pretty simple. But what you end up getting is 
people buy certificates all over the place. It's part yeah. of digital. Do you know what I mean? Really, digital should be on them because they have the websites and everything else. But actually, you find that, oh, I only own this part of the website and I only own this and I only <laughs> do that. So you end up yeah. with it being actually the separate across the organization. And then someone somewhere forgets to do an SSL certificate and all your email doesn't work. Your website might be up, but your email isn't until you go and renew it. So something ends up dropping off somewhere because it isn't centralized. I'm quite happy for it to be owned by ITAM because it is an IT asset in the end run, the same as anything else. But unfortunately, I don't think that happens in most organizations. The SSL kind of just flops around out there like a dead pony. Do you know what I mean? I've never heard of an SSL certificate <laughs> compared to a dead pony. A, but, but surely the power of the ITAM review can like give it a home. You know, an SSL certificate's not just for Christmas, guys. You know, it needs a long-term loving home. Shall, shall we dictate that? I don't know. Yeah, like you said, know, it just we're, goes to all over. We're a, we're a tiny, the ITAM itself has its own SSL certificates, and we're a tiny, tiny organization, but it is still a massive headache managing them. So God knows what it's like for big organizations. Yeah, and we've got hundreds. So Yeah. Who manages your SSL certificates, Martin? Uh, guess who? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she does everything else. <laughs> I'd outsource that, yeah. <laughs> So we mentioned about Red Hat going to IBM. Uh, there's a lot of heat around Oracle and Java at the moment. Um, Microsoft have both picked up open source companies, and I think they've made some of their software open source as well, haven't they? Yeah. Um, so, so what's where do you think um, open source is becoming more and more uh, mainstream? What 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 do we, what do we think? Oh, I, I think it's been mainstream for years anyway, though, isn't it? You know, I mean, you can go to any client um, and look at their Linux estate, and you'll see four or five different uh, versions of different distributions of Linux in an area estate. So, open source has been there for a very long time. It's only now that the really big vendors, I think, are trying to see what money they can make out of it, if I'm honest, and see how can they, they can adapt it for their own revenue streams and their own purposes. Barry, I class it as the carrot and stick. Are you? They get you with the carrot, the free software, and then they beat you with the stick. Yeah. You need to go enterprise now. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I mean, I it's interesting. But the modern approach seems to be uh, completely opposite to, to what um, what used to be done. I mean, if you remember, Novell bought the um, Suzy uh, distribution in what two thousand and four or five. And one of the reasons they did it was was to safeguard um, its integrity because obviously they were one of the founder members of the Open Invention Network, um, and I think they wanted to safeguard its integrity. And then five or six years later, they then uh, sold their soul and uh, sold it to, to Attachmate, who then obviously became part of Microfocus, who have since resold it as well. So I think it's, it's now what's happening these days is actually completely contrary. Whereas once upon a time there was an element of integrity and then trying to do the right thing about buying. Um, an open source distribution. Now, I think it's all about just seeing what you can make out of it. Yep, I completely agree. Or using it to try and get people onto the paid for products. Yeah, and I think I think as well the uh, the companies that are doing the purchasing, perhaps Stanfast, Microsoft, are the ones that are um, the ones that that might have been expecting to make more out of virtualization in the cloud than they actually have done. So they've got to sort of look in other areas and other avenues to make uh, you know make all, make up revenue potentially so open source is a is a, a decent plan b potentially for them yeah yeah i mean microsoft's always a bit of a mystery anyway aren't they because on the one hand 
um, they try to fleece as much as they can. And on the other hand, um, they try to give back to the community with open source initiatives. And it's, it's almost like they've got, you know, a little Jiminy Cricket sitting on their shoulder as a, as a conscience saying, actually, do you know what? You've been really nasty this year. You need to do that now. I think we might need to explain for our audience exactly what who Jiminy Cricket is. That's, and that's I, I suspect from the deathly science, there's people in this room that actually yeah. don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we all know. Libby and David, I'm looking at you. <laughs> and you would be spot on, Barry. I'm Googling him now. Jiminy Cricket. I'm, assume, I'm assuming you know who Pinocchio is. Yeah, he's from Pinocchio, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. He is. Well, Jiminy well, Cricket well. was Pinocchio's conscience, David. Yeah. should know that. I can't spell Jiminy either. Bing's uh, other search engines are available is um, confusing <laughs> what I'm asking for. Oh, no, it's Disney related and I didn't know it. Oh, the shame. <laughs> David, how are before. you? <laughs> I cannot tell my fiance I didn't know a Disney character. Quick, move on. Uh, SSL certificates go off, dear. <laughs> we also introduced uh, Libby as well. Oh, sorry, I forgot you as part of the introduction, Libby. So Libby is on the call. Uh, welcome, Libby. Hi. Um, learning her way in podcasts. Future mm -hmm. host of the podcast. <laughs> so behave yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Not my <mind. laughs> Imagine if she gets the new bleep button when Danny talking off. So yeah, yeah she accidentally bleeps a proper word and leaves in the swear word. There's some that might say that would be a better approach anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, integrity around open source, Barry. I think um, anything to do with integrity is out the window when it comes to Oracle. So they seem to be thoroughly confusing all their customers around Java. Lots of interest, lots of forum questions, lots of emails about what the heck is going on with Java. Um, I think people are going to get regularly fleeced on that one. But then with Oracle, why break the habit of a lifetime? I think I heard yeah. that they had already hired Java auditors. <laughs> they already spent the past 12 months training them, you say? Yeah, they're already sharpening their knives. And I think the other scary thing is people think, oh, we're not use, really using Java, but it's, it's embedded in so many things, isn't it? Yeah. It, like consoles and other people's software, and somebody's got to take the hit. Somebody's got to pay for it somewhere. It's, what, what is interesting is, and I haven't seen any blogs or anything else on it, so if there is one, then please point it out to me, is... What what the exact modules that are going to be licensed are? Uh, I know them, uh, but how do we actually discover them? How do we actually find out which modules we're actually using as part of Java Eight? This I'm I'm sure I this may have even been on the item review, but isn't there um, like a, a tracker or a usage tool or something that Oracle are actually providing but needs a license? Yes, I know that they were saying that they were going to give a tool out, but you had to buy a license for it, which I thought. That's absolutely fantastic. That's Oracle all over, isn't it? You know, yeah, the only way you can track it and stop paying us any money is by paying money to track it. So yeah. Just in case you don't have it, and then we still at least get some money from you. Brilliant. But I don't. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if anyone else knows of any other. I haven't seen anything of said tracker. Um, no, and I, I, I don't know anyone who's got any scripts or any other way of actually discovering whether the the licensable parts of the tool are actually used in Angular yeah. organization. God, if I was Flexera, I'd be developing another blade on that one straight away. 
other SAM technologies are available. Um, so <laughs> I don't really have a blade. Is there, um, so is there an actual date on when this comes into force? Because it seems to just say from Jan after January. So does that mean 1st of Feb, it's boom in place? Audit will be dropping? I think it's about three in. months from now, isn't it? Someone, I saw some other post saying that it was about three months. You mean Oracle aren't being crystal clear on things, Danny? That is a surprise, isn't it? Yeah, they're very robustly honest about everything they do with their licensing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong as well. It's something I picked up on, uh, and maybe I've maybe I've got this mistaken. But it's only going to apply from version ten onwards as well. Is that correct? So if you keep below version ten, you're in the clear. I thought it was version eight onwards. Yes, eight, isn't it? Version eight onwards. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Which isn't great because what version are we on now? Depends on your IT state, I guess. No, no, I meant like what's the latest version. I mean, oh, okay. we, we all know we're not IT estate. We're running probably from version one all the way up to the latest version. Yeah. Um, it, it just means it becomes much more difficult for us to get all that information. I think 10 is... Uh, oh, 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 there's an 11 apparently on the Oracle website. Just while we're mentioning draconian... Software 11.01 is the um, latest version. This is some feedback from the Australian um, conference, um, which we held here a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Australians were saying that the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Toad, Toad is a Quest product, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they were saying that Quest were coming in there auditing, but they were excluding Toad for some reason. Yeah. So presumably Toad is difficult to measure and they were, trying to make lighten the audit load so uh interesting development if you've got lots of toad in a in a bad place that uh, if you toad tends to be used a lot with oracle so so for oracle tends to, i see that across lots of people you know uh, prior so that tends to be a big product for oracle but one one um reader was saying uh, one delegate at the australian conference was saying that they knew they had an issue with Toad, but it was out of scope for the audit. So they placated, they were like very friendly requests because they wanted to keep, make sure the scope didn't change and they managed to get escape any issues with that because Toad was out of scope. So I assume that's purely the cost of auditing Toad was too expensive for them. Um, other feedback we had was that Microfocus was, I think Microfocus has a one-year audit clause and yeah. they were coming in exactly on 12 months and saying, right, it's exactly 12 months since the last audit, and the letter, the letter came in by the day, basically. Wow. Well, no surprise that, again. That, I, I've got to be honest, that doesn't actually surprise me. I mean, I've dealt with um, microfocus audits. I've also dealt with attachment audits, obviously, who are now owned by microfocus. And uh, collectively, those two companies give Oracle a good name when it comes yeah. to audits. Yeah. I would prefer to deal with Oracle half the time rather than microfocus. So with Quest, for example, um, I've, I've dealt with a couple of Quest audits um, myself, and I must admit, I've noticed now there are, I'm getting cold calls and cold emails, even though GDPR they shouldn't have my details about specialist people to defend you from Quest audits. A few years ago, that was never a thing. It was never all oh, be careful of Quest. It was always your IBM, SAPs, Microsofts, Oracle, well, etc. That all changed when. Quest got bought by Dell, and then Dell ended up auditing everyone. And then when Quest pulled itself away back out from Dell again, they ended up with no money again. So they ended up having to re-audit everyone. So yeah. when your coffers are bare, you have to go spare. <laughs> when your coffers are bare, yeah. they've got such a big 
portfolio well they got quite a, a number of products as well that primarily we um organizations that i've been in before have used it for like um change auditor and enterprise reporter and stuff like that they've, they've got a good product set uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll give quest that you know a lot of their tools are actually bloody good bloody expensive but oh, bloody good it's black black rock the audit firm that and the audit defense firm that does quest they they're, they're like the x quest team oh well, yeah um, yeah the, the spin-off people that other, go, oh other, yeah don't bother with quest come with us other audit defense yeah. firms are available yeah, other swear words are available <laughs> and final final bit people was um in australia was that microsoft despite microsoft saying we're not doing reviews anymore um they're still going ahead, or it appears to go be going ahead. And the same with Adobe. Adobe appear to be pulling back from doing audit work, but still appear to be sniffing around quite aggressively to do reviews. That's the feedback from Australia. I've not seen. I've not seen any Adobe ones recently, but Microsoft. Yeah, they're always going, though, aren't they? Um, you know, they've got revenue streams they want to protect. They've got uh, cloud revenue streams they want to generate, and the easiest way to do that is to uh, force people into it via audit settlements. Sorry, SAM baseline review settlements, um, because that's the way they've always worked, and this way all the big vendors work. Though, but I would say that um, probably with the more mature type SAM areas um, tend to suffer a lot less from that. Microsoft tend to be a bit more. Um, moving away from that space but of course areas of the world where there tends not to be so many controls such as the middle east and that then microsoft is still extremely aggressive there so it, the tactic seems to be changing depend on the maturity of the countries that they're working in i have got to be honest i mean i, I still think there's, there's lots of organizations um in the uk that are uh, probably relatively immature by those standards as well i, uh, I agree but, yeah I've, I've worked with a lot of them myself and i, and I think <laughs> if revenue they'll, they'll offer the baseline review you yeah know? And, and obviously if you ignore the baseline review offer it will turn into an audit hmm. so i completely agree and uh, the other i just yeah my experience just says that they're doing it less with the more mature countries than they are with more immature countries yeah, on that, I mean, on a person by person basis, they're not doing it. I think um, even in 2018, I don't know what you guys think. It still, you know, baffles me sometimes some of the um, ITAM and SAM functions within organisations how immature they still are, even though you know it's, it's 2019 in a few weeks, kind of thing. There's been an awful lot of publicity. And stuff. The, the the problem is, and, and I think this is something that really came up. For the Australian conference is still Martin Stunder for a moment. It's it's the strategy in the business cases where everyone falls over time and time and time again. Um, and it's it's actually making sure you've got the buy-in and the stakeholder engagement to actually move on and kick on with your process. I mean, look look at I mean coming back to Danny and his uh, his awards. So uh, you know, enjoy the moment, Danny. Um, oh, I mean, being, being realistic, Danny, how long has it taken you to actually get the buy-in at your current employer to make that work? Um, I mean, that's, that's several years of effort you've put in there, it's, isn't it's it? Three, four years' worth of effort to take it from a single person to a couple of teams doing various different parts of the business and getting that buy-in from the business to say, actually, yeah, all the things that you're putting in place are saving us money, so we'll do more of these things. So you get their risk appetite to a point where actually you, you can make some decent thought about decisions yeah i mean i, I worked with one client um last year where 
even in 2017, you know, the business case was put together, the bid for, for funding for a tool was put together, and the CIO's response when asked about the tool was, well, are we being audited then? And it's like, <laughs> it's 2017, really? Is, is that how you understand ITAM? You know, and, and I think it's all about selling the case and talking to people in their own language and making sure you're in that case. But, I mean, it's the, the whole thing about cloud troubles me because that's all we see at the moment is cloud this, cloud that, cloud the other. And my attitude is, well, let's get the basics right first. Let's manage the on-premise yeah. stuff before we even think of transitioning it to the cloud and how you're going to manage it in the cloud. Let's yeah. get the really simple stuff right. Let's not bite off more than we chew. Absolutely. You don't want to boil the ocean. There's, 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 there's more, than, more than enough stuff to do. You can make more than enough uh, impact by just slowly biting off pieces as you go along. As um, as we're all ITAM and SAM enthusiasts, it just makes me sad every time. Yeah, you know, you say about it falls over at the business case. It's like I don't know, was there an issue with the business case, or because ITAM kind of can sell itself in the value that it brings? Do you know, I've got to be honest. Though, I think enthusiast is such a strong word um, in this context. I, I think enthusiast implies that I do this even if I wasn't paid for it, <laughs> 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 and I wouldn't. Oh, Barry. <laughs> I was trying I, to. I, I, was trying I tell you to what, you put yourself. You, you, you be an item enthusiast. I'll be an item mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> right, moving moving swiftly on. Uh, we have a section of this podcast for which we don't have a jingle yet, called uh, Jargon Buster. And I would like to know what is a container in, and whoever comes up with the most. Um, Eloquent description of a container wins a prize. Before before I bust a eloquent. nut, what, what is the prize? <laughs> don't, ru don't ruin it, Rory. Come on. <laughs> There's not so, going to be beeped out, by the way. I, I, <laughs> I thought I, I, I'd make other references. <laughs> I, I think of it like cake. If, if you consider a server as a cake, a container is the slice of cake that allows you to have jam in and a separate slice of cake allows you to have chocolate in and never the two shall meet. They don't mingle together, but you Barry, can have... Barry, both. can I stop you there? That's, that's an awful analogy. That works quite well myself. <laughs> well, I, just okay. prize I, I, I suppose the, uh, the way I would say it is take, take your server, take the software that you actually want to run and then take all the that's in it and put it in the bin. So basically, you're just using the APIs that you actually need to call within the OS, and the APIs that you need to call within the application, and that's what basically is contained within the container. So if a container is built to add one-on-one -on -one and make it equal two, that's exactly what you've built it for. Now, if you've got millions of people asking the question one plus one equals two, then you can spin up millions of these containers to answer the question for them, at which point millions of people are being answered at the one time. When it's only one person, you know, 999,000 of them spin back down again. And thus, you can spin up millions and millions of containers and spin them back down again. Mainly, they might resource if you need for millions. Or so, you know, Danny, a server just, will run just, hundreds of containers. Just on the off chance to answer some advanced server, server engineers listening to this podcast, can you now put <laughs> that into English? That wasn't my best attempt at English, and that probably <laughs> didn't do very much justice either. You know, that's me trying to boil down stuff as well. If you want me to be more technical than cake, should we go with pizza? You know, I mean, you've all had pizzas where you have two different sets of toppings on. There you go. Different we pizza could go, size. We could go down the dark cake. route yep. and say it's like a jail with all the different cells in there. Uh -huh. Yeah. No. Yeah. 
But each cell has its own shit. Each cell has its own... You build and destroy cells as and when you need them. Yeah. I, I do, do hope that <laughs> nobody's joined this podcast hoping to understand what a container is. Well, you know, I, right, I okay, thought okay. I had a grasp on, on what a container was, and I've no <laughs> clue now. <laughs> so it's, it's, in my understanding, a simple, um, relatively non-technical understanding of a container is that if you have a server, you can uh, partition up processes within that server to create a container, which is almost like a virtual machine, but without an operating system that allows you to run a separate application stack from other containers within that server. So it actually reduces your resource consumption as well. And you can remove them, as, as Danny says, you can spin them up and remove them as and when you need them. It, it just basically contains all the code you need to do something. Yeah. So whether that's one plus one equals two, it just contains the code required to come out with that answer. So if you're packaging up Word, you may say, actually, I'm going to run Word in a container, but I'm not going to give you all of these different um, fonts. I'm not going to allow you to change the size apart from eight or 10 points. Do you know what I mean? And thus, I'm only going to package those elements of Word, at which point I can then spin up millions of them, and millions of people can use Word, but only those particular parts of it. So it only contains yeah. the code required to do that. Not all of the rest of the stuff that Word is able to do, not all of these embedded pictures and stuff like that, all you can do is type in it. So basically, it's like creating Notepad but using Word. Uh, and like Danny said, they don't meet, do they? They're, they're all no. they're, they're all separate. They're separate. They're yeah. yeah. So Docker or something like that would then spin up as many containers as requests coming in. So the whole idea is about being so flexible that it spins up as long as you've got the resources behind it, and you can just allow it to have as much resource as you like. It will spin up if you get a hundred requests or hundred uh, containers spin up. You get 50, 50 spin up. And as soon as they finish, they spin back down again. And thus, it's able to uh, do all the things needed for a, piece, for a, a customer as required. That makes it a complete nightmare for us, though. Absolutely. <laughs> but then, I don't think the major vendors have figured out how to license the software on it yet, anyway. The only person that I've seen come out with anything in relation to, doc, uh, with, in relation to containers is Oracle. <laughs> Container sprawling, container sprawling. There'll be articles and stuff on that soon. So they can they they consider all containers to be development, which is great because it comes under yeah. the Oracle development under the dev license. Too. Yeah. Apart from if it's in a production environment, at which point what do you do then? Because they don't have anything. As far as I'm concerned, all containers are development. Right. That's interesting. Next, uh, That's interesting. next section of this podcast without a jingle, is uh, job of the week. Job of the week. I thought it was job of the month because we're doing this once a month. Uh, <laughs> now in case this podcast are once a week. <laughs> you, you've got to clip that up, Libby. That's got to be the jingle. Just put some like, ching, like you know, Santa sleigh or something in yeah. the background. And, oh, <laughs> yeah, or ski, or ski Sunday, those little uh, Aust Austrian bells. Yeah, I feel like I'm living inside an episode of the goodies at the moment. <laughs> oh, wait, there, you have to explain that to David as well. I was going to say, can we make sure that any pop culture references are fully explained before the podcast so I don't look like an absolute moron that goes, What's that? Um, but yeah, I'll pretend yeah. I know what that means. So, yes, I agree. So the, the job for this week is, uh, and I'm interested in um, A, would you want this job? 
and B, what are the challenges you think this person would face for this particular role? So uh, this is Software Asset Manager at Morrison's. So for those of you outside of the UK, Morrison's is a top four, top five retail chain, um, grocery chain. Um, and it's Supermarket. Supermarket Manager. It's the fourth it's largest. Call it what it is. Supermarket, thank you. Supermarket. Isn't, um, it, isn't it Tesco's, Sainsbury's, Asda, Morrison's? Right. Fourth largest. I, I should know this, by the way. <laughs> and whoever's written the job description has said, in this role, you'll ensure that Morrison's software license entitlement position, the licenses we own, and deployment position, what licenses we use, are understood and managed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so to be fair, if they've actually had to explain that in the job description, they're probably not going to get the quality of capital <laughs> they're going to send <laughs> So what do we, I mean, what retail groceries, uh, not a lot of uh, margin to spare. What challenges are they likely to face in that role, do you think? Cultural. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And legacy software. I, I noticed in Morrison's that one of the self-checkouts things was running on Windows 7 still. What do you mean? Uh, still, that, that's that's latest leading edge. Mate. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, mate! You've, you've not seen some pod systems I've seen in my lifetime. So yeah, um, Tesco seem to be um, quite up there in terms of their um, self checkout operating systems. They look they're upgraded in our in our store, and they look. Um, I think they're Windows Ten now. It's like oh, very impressive. They don't work, but still. They're <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's like a cut out cardboard tablet. Yeah. <laughs> This is what it will look like. This is not available. No, someone's been doing this for about a year, haven't they? Yeah, well, I know more than that, I think, because I know someone who's been a software asset manager there before. In fact, I think he was their first software asset manager um, about two two years ago. So um, I don't know if maybe this is just someone moving on and they're trying to fill the vacancy or so it's a reboot and a new stab at uh, making it work, maybe? I don't know. I've seen it come out about three or four times over the past year. I, th yeah. I think reading the job description thing for it, I mean, the way it's written is no offense to whoever wrote it, but here at Morrison's, our software asset manager gets involved in things like this. And then it just talks about um, evaluating, selecting, and implementing appropriate IT software asset management tools. Well, so, so is this, is this, <laughs> yeah, that's their job. No, no, but you were saying, is this, um, you know, is this someone that's uh, a new role? Is it someone that's left? Because if you're talking about bringing in new tools, it sounds like they've got potentially a blank canvas. So I thought, you know, when I read it, I thought that basically they've been using contractors prior. Um, oh, and you said that they had someone before. Were they a contractor or were they full-time, that person? So the, the, the person I know that worked there was a permanent, permanent person. Uh, and, and he left, I think, because he wasn't really getting the commitment from them. And that, that's no surprise. You know, there's a lot of adverse risk uh, when it comes to um, retailers. With, basically, they only working on you know, 1% to 2% margins. You know, it, it's, it's very, very tight. You're know, trying the... to get tools or anything else for every hundred grand you go and spend on something like snow. You know, and you have to go and spend. Te you have to go and sell ten million pounds worth of oranges. One one of the things it says on the job description. Who's seen this? Is uh, probably five or six bullet point down. It says providing providing advice on dealing with software regulatory bodies such as the Federation Against Software Theft. So that's, yeah, that's bang up to date. That one isn't it? Whoa. <laughs> what, are they are they penny? Was it was it thirteen pounds and six shillings a week or something? Is it, what's, what's the salary? 
two sheep and a packet of gravel. Yeah. That's um that's not great, is it? Retro. Talking of uh, talking of old old I think you said Windows Seven was an old system, David. Um, I was on a bus the other day, shock horror, and uh, he had uh, one of these systems that that says this is what the next stop is. So presumably it had some sort of GPS in it or something. So it's got it's got a modern bit of kit. Uh, anyway, it fell over and rebooted on the bus, and it was based on XP. So that, I was quite proud of that. That's going to be at least what's that year two thousand that came out. 2001, yep. like that. 2001. That is proper sweating an asset. That is. Well, well, I, 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 I would have been more impressed. It wasn't so long ago that most most AMT, uh, sorry, most cash point machines were still running Windows NT. Yep. I'm going to go back to Morrison's and check that it was Windows Seven because I think now you said that it might have been Windows XP. I'll report back on the next podcast. Stay tuned. If that doesn't make you yeah. subscribe, I don't know what that is. The thing is, it's the same, the same with many, many OSs, you know, especially when it comes to POS systems and stuff like that. If it ain't broke and it lets me take money, I, you know, yeah. then I'm not going to change it because a POS system just ends up costing cash. It takes a long time for you to pay it back, and you have a lot of them in store. I mean, you look at most supermarkets will have you know, 30 tills if, if it's a larger store, so that's you know, 30 POS systems at a grand a pop because you've got the cash drawer and everything else and yeah. a little bit that shows you how much money you've spent and all of that nice <clears> malarkey. <throat> that, that's it. And if you're only working on a couple of percent margin, then that's a, you know, a million pounds worth of stuff that you have to go and sell for every tell. So it takes a long payback. Sounds like a container application if I didn't know better. Yeah, <laughs> or, or go in the Amazon way and just not bother on having sales at all. Mm. So there's 100, 111,000 people work at Morrison's, apparently. Yep. Um, it's quite a big estate, and I think it looks like a good opportunity for somebody, but only somebody that knows what they're doing and knows how to be bloody-minded and drive an agenda. Yeah. You're looking for a cushy number. I don't think that's the one. No, but I think that's probably true of any um, large corporate client where they're trying to uh, start some practice for the first time. You've got to be able to sort of take it on the chin when you when you, you you will come across issues. You need to be able to take it on the chin. You need to be able to bounce back and, and sort of almost by strength of character force force things onwards. Um, yeah. I mean, again, coming back to Danny, he's had to do that in his, with his current employer. And I think, you know, most of us have probably worked with clients of one type or another where that's had to be the case. I'd, I'd be interested too to know um, what size of team, if any, is is associated with that. Because that's that's not, you know, if you've got one hundred and ten thousand employees, you, you're going to be talking about a sizable IT estate, and that's not a one man job. Well, are you doing uh, retail? So I disagree, Rory. That is kind of a one man job because it yeah. always starts with the one man. Now, whether that one man is then able to actually push the agenda, get bloody-minded with the people and actually show them the value in order to build up a team, mm-hmm. exactly what ends up ha- happening. Now, when I looked at that job role, there is no team. It is a one man. That one man, whoever you woman. That, or woman, yes. One person. Ah, uh, oh, Barry Snack. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one person has to go in there and actually be a bit bloody-minded, be able to actually face up to the CTO or the CIO and actually say to them, no, this requires an additional person here, this requires an additional person there. Do you realize what you've actually signed up to in your contracts? Do you know what you're on the line for? And do you know what your legal obligations are? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you know what laws you actually, you know, that, that yeah, you potentially breach here? It's not just, I mean, there is no such thing as really contract law. That's just 
between two people an agreement, but there are laws behind the contracts that we have here, at least within software asset management, because of copyright. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of CIOs forget that actually it's not a contract you're signing. You're actually signing something that's actually has some basis in part of law. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, CIO, you're responsible for that. Yeah. Easiest question to ask them is, are you quite happy to spend the next 12 months in prison? <laughs> yeah. If the answer is no, shall we do something about it then? <laughs> I, think, I think just reading further down that advert as well, um, I don't know if anyone's read this in the About Us, and they're talking about digital transformation, becoming a digitally focused retailer, reinventing tech, new opportunities, mobile first to the cloud. So lots of challenges there to be thinking about for anyone going in there. And I'm the based in Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, care to expand on that one, Danny? Well, if that doesn't sell it, if that yeah. doesn't sell it, well, there are pros and cons to Bradford. So, it's put it this way: the the, the pros of Bradford is well, property is nice and cheap, and that's so you know you can get yourself somewhere nice, get yourself set up. It's closer to Scotland. I'd love it, but um, <laughs> the problem being is there aren't very many people up in Bradford that have the type of experience that someone like Madison's would need. So, and, and sorry, and most of them are based around London. You know, we've got the odd weirdo in that that might be in Warrington, but yeah, <laughs> other than that, you know. uh, actually, I will, I will say, um, Lloyd's Bank have got a fairly big lifetime team in Leeds or Pudsey. I would say there's a, there's a there's a northern powerhouse of sound people. There's there's quite a contingent up there. Well, and well, that actually is is, is the problem with Bradford, of course, is that it is too close to dirty Leeds. <laughs> so, um, so but Danny, just just, 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 just to round off on your on your point there, that's 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 Bradford's fallout there, unfortunately. But yes, it's too close to dirty leads. Yeah. Just, just well, I think we're going down a really odd route. Um, <laughs> so, to just going back to something you mentioned there, Barry, about um, digital transformation. Does anyone actually have a clear definition on what on earth digital transformation means? I think that should be jargon buster for next time. So I, 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 will tell, I will tell you what I think most organisations think is it, it is, it, is it based on cakes? <laughs> please, please, <laughs> think about it. Yeah. No, this, this one's pies. Um, <laughs> no, I, mean, I, think, I think most organisations view digital transformation as being the, the move from on-premise to cloud is, is what I believe most think it is. As to what it actually means... Good question. Don't know. Ask, ask the British Computer Society or someone like them because they'll probably be more than happy to give you an answer. But um, I mean, for me, it's, you're right, baby. It's, it's jargon. It's, it's nonsense jargon, which people roll out and say, oh, yeah, we're doing this, you know. Um, but yeah, it's nonsense, really. To, to me, digital transformation is basically the, the movement of a business to being more online, you know. So, but are you, you're transforming from a typical. God, I suppose there's been many transformations where we move from being supermarkets where you went to the front and the person went and got all the stuff for you uh, to being self-service to then having a, another transformation where you could go and scan your own things. Uh, and then you had self-checkouts rather than having the checkout people, you know, rather than saying checkout girls or anything like that. Um, you know, so th- there's been many transformations, you know, and, and half of those end up being digital. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's just about being online, though. If you if software asset management role, like if you have a process of requesting software, and it's based on filling out a sheet or a word document and email at somebody, and you then convert that process into an electronic process whereby it's a 
you know, self-service form in a shop and it's completely automated that you can do at any time. That is digital transformation. You're transforming your business using digital technology. Exactly. And that's what I'm getting at, you know. But then then isn't 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 Microsoft Word and email digital technology anyway? Yeah. No, but it's clumsy and it's... It's It's any sort of transformation to to one digital form to another digital form or from one manual form to a digital form. It's any sort of movement. So, um, conscious of time, gentlemen, um, want to wrap things up within the hour. So, what, what's uh, what's your? Well, first of all, wish you a very happy Christmas and or season's greetings, whatever the particularly correct term is. Um, and wonder what you're up to in the next month. What are you working on? What what are your plans? What's on the agenda? Well, this sounds like no one's got any plans. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to give someone else a chance to talk, you know, only because I, I, I've, I've, I've always got work to do. Um, I, I will just be ploughing on with my uh, usual clients. Um, I don't tend to stop through the Christmas period, to be honest with you, because, uh, as I said, I am an ITAM mercenary. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, uh, New Year's Day, um, Christmas Eve, that'll probably be the days I take off, if I'm honest, because I've always got too much work to do anyway. So as the evangelist, David, what are you doing? Are you doing um, some consultation on Christmas Day? No, well, not on Christmas Day, Danny, please. <laughs> Don't be putting that it, out there, be, He'll be doing um, ITAM work, but he just won't be getting paid for it because it's his hobby. Every day is an ITAM day, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> Think about managing those presents. You've got to optimise that dinner on Christmas um, afternoon. Come on. Um, <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, the, um, Wait, I'm, sorry, I'm going to stop you there. I want to know how you optimise a Christmas dinner now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just making sure that you've got nothing left over. Um, otherwise, that's that's complete wastage, uh, waste of money, uh, waste of food. Um, you know, you, you've got to plan. Wasted. You've got to plan your consumption. Um, you've got to, you know, know what your capacity is before you start. It's, um, you know, and then you've got to realise that there might actually be a better asset coming after the main asset that's chocolatey and delicious. Um, there's an awful lot of thought process, Barry. I yeah, can't believe that we've got Christmas dinner in a in software <laughs> asset management. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Good skills, David, for rising to that challenge. I'm assuming that you want to for that turkey for each person that comes to the table, though. Yeah. You what, sorry? I'm assuming you won't be buying a separate whole new turkey for each person that comes to the table. No. You'll see what turkey you've got spare and actually optimise the use of that turkey throughout all your dinner, I guess. Well, and also for um, cold sandwiches the next day. Anyway, that, that, that's um, Christmas dinner asset management. That's another is, is that reharvesting turkey? Is it? it is. It is. It's, it's reharvesting. Recycling sounds a bit dodgy, so we'll go to reharvesting. Um, yeah, because otherwise that's when you've had too much to eat a drink. Oh, yeah. But, but who is in all seriousness, um, uh, yeah, my own week three into going solo and being a strong, independent woman, man, man, strong, independent man, person, um, person. Um, uh, and so, yeah, my client shuts down over Christmas. So, um, it's going to be an expensive one when you consider all the presents that go out and the lack of working. Um, so yeah, just going to chill out, do some, like Barry said, I genuinely have got some blogs and stuff to do. <laughs> so I'll be doing that over Christmas and then. Just cracking on and um, making 2019 yet another item awesomeness year. Rory, cool, thanks. Um, I'm going to be busy trying to drive clients through um, through HubSpot to try and get get the SAM surgery up and running, which is a, a two-day package I've put together around some maturity. Um, I've got one I two on 
uh, we, we, I'm working with Kylie around the, the hand processors. We need to get the web page sorted for that and, and overhauled so we can actually sell the bloody things on, online. Um, and I've got half an idea to actually have a go at doing some config processes as well. So, you know, do, do something similar around the, the CMDB. Oh, let get, I'm doing that at the moment, Rory. So if you need any help, give me a shout. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks, Dave. And I forgot to plug. I'm building my website as well. Thank you. Sandbeast.com? .co.uk. Okay. Domain is poor. I just have not got the creative um, juices to actually build a website that looks good. Um, so I'm going to get someone else to do that for me. Did we do, Danny, you shared your Christmas plans? Yeah, well, I'm, I tend to take most of Christmas off with the kids and that, but for the new year, I'm looking at um, putting together a business plan to transform part of the business, digital transformation, although this probably isn't that digital or that much transforming, in order just so that the businesses can work a bit better. So... Uh, I like to get my fingers in a number of different pies, and this one is related to AD. Cool. Uh, transform AD for us. I look forward to hearing about that in the new year. Thank you, guys. Have a great Christmas and new year, and look forward to catching up with you in January. Yep. See you next month, guys. Cheers, Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Bye-bye.